The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman. And EJ, it's a dark day. I think this might be the last time we ever get to talk about Tom Brady in the offseason preparing for one last go at the ring. I think this (laughs) is it. I think this is the last year. He already retired once. I don't think he's retiring more than twice. So we're going to make this Bucks preview as good as we possibly can because I think it's the last one we're ever going to get with Tom Brady. What a squad they got. I think they're well-primed for yet another run at the ring this year. But before we get to all that, everything they've done since the end of last year. First things first, EJ, buddy, how you doing? What are we drinking tonight? I got to say, there's a sucker born every minute if you believe that. <laughs> you think he's got more than one year? I think he can play as many as he wants until his deal with the devil expires like he (laughs) has not dropped off we'll talk about all that but I'm excited to talk about you know the top team in this this week's division NFC South um, see what they've done to reload Uh, had some significant losses but also have retained plenty of talent on what was an extremely talented I would say top five roster in the NFL in terms of depth and quality at the top like all the way through they've done a tremendous job of putting together a roster they held it together this is not a flare for Tom Brady's last year like maybe we can get it done if if they stay healthy they will absolutely be in it at the end but we'll talk about all that What are you drinking to get us through this last team episode of the week before we do our summary episode on Friday? I'm on coffee because (laughs) uh, I have me too. I'm on coffee every day. Uh, I I have a lot of work to do tonight on uh, we at at the time of us recording this, by the way, we still haven't even started releasing these episodes. We're technically in week two right now, but the Jags episode has yet to come out. I have work to do on that. Uh, I've worked to do on the Texans and the Colts episode. So, uh, See, we're recording this at 9.30 at night. I'm probably not going to bed for another five hours or so. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm on that, that good black coffee train right now. Uh, first things first, segment we start every single show with, the, uh, the little 2021 recap we have, you know, how they ended last year before we get into everything they've done since the end of last year. 13-4 and four record. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
right there at the top of the NFC. They were really, really an incredible ball club, even better in the regular season last year than the year before when they ended up making that Super Bowl run. Uh, finished first in the division, 7-1 and one at home. Tom Brady doesn't lose at home, so yep. that's that's right in line with their brand. Uh, they were really, really good on the road as well. Some extremely tough games on the road that they were able to pull out. Uh, six and three road record last five weeks. Again, Tom Brady finishes strong. As the months get colder, he gets better. Not that it gets cold in Tampa Bay, but <laughs> you get you get the point. Four and one in the last five. Ended on a three-game win streak to get themselves to thirteen and four. Um, they were in that battle for the first seed the entire way. And uh, as long as Tom Brady's your quarterback, you're always going to be in the battle for the first seed. That's that's just kind of what he does. Um, yet another incredible year. For, for Tom, and uh, not going to lie, I kind of feel like they're going to pick up right where they left off. There's no reason to think that they won't. Uh, Tom Brady, like you said, does not lose at home. He People say learn how to win. Tom Brady learned how to win a long time ago, and now he, for the last, I would say, eight or ten years, he's just been teaching everybody around him how to win and demanding that as well. That's the difference between – elite quarterbacks and guys that go to and win multiple Super Bowls, they demand it, right? It's not, ah, it's week 17. Doesn't matter if we win this one. Tom's like, we're not losing this game. No, no, I don't care. (laughs) Like, Tom, we got the seed all that. Doesn't matter. We're winning this game, right? And he just drives that team along with him, drives, drags, whatever you want to say. The great ones all do it. And this record is reflective of, yes, an incredibly talented roster but we've seen a lot of incredibly talented rosters throughout the years in the nfl underachieve the tom brady's of the world are not going to let that occur they're going to ensure that that talent is maximized and they're going to push for every last ounce drop whatever and they're going to grind for every win they're not going to let it go he will not spit the bit, which is why you're like, oh, one more season. I'm like, is he going to be able to give it up after that? I'm not so sure. You don't just kind of turn that drive off. It is, it's legendary. He made it like 40 days at home with yeah. the wife and kids and was like, you know what? Fuck this. The, the <laughs> I'm going to go spend 80 hours a week playing quarterback again. The best thing I saw was he was in the school pickup line like four times and he was like, nah, I'm done. It's over. I'm You, you can have it. I'm back at it. I'll retire Um, when they're in college. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just laugh because it hurts and it's true. Uh, Now, he is not the only one at the top of the power structure because let's be honest, Tom Brady is is in the organizational power structure. He's one of the the few quarterbacks that is. Um, But beyond that, in terms of actual front office and coaching personnel, this is still one of the more stable organizations in the NFC. Not as as long in terms of tenure as the Saints that we talked about yesterday, but in terms of the core being together for four-plus years, everybody on this staff, at least at the top, has been here for at least four straight years. Jason Light, at general manager, has been here for nine years at this point. Todd Bowles, year one at head coach, but he's been here since 2019, you know, when Arians took over. Uh, the assistant head coach and run game coordinator Harold Goodwin, four years with the team. Byron Leftwich, four years with the team. Run game coordinator slash defensive line coach Casey Rogers, four years with the team. Defensive pass game coordinator Larry Foote. If you're a Steelers fan listening to this, guess what? Larry Foote is a defensive coordinator in the NFL now, so you 
you better feel old. Uh, he's been there for four years. Uh, special teams, Keith Armstrong also got there with that 2019 staff. So the core of that staff, despite being a playoff team, despite winning a Super Bowl, like you don't see a coaching staff stay together like that, even through all of that success, very often. That almost never happens. This one did. And, um, I mean, eventually it's going to break up because I have to imagine Byron Leftwich is getting a job eventually. And, you know, maybe one of these run game coordinators or pass game coordinators will get a full DC job eventually. But for now, it's the model of stability over there in Tampa. Yeah, and you can thank one of the other Florida teams for that. Trent Balky <laughs> dug in his heels in Jacksonville and said, nah, I'm not leaving. And Byron Leftwich said, cool, no thanks, and ends up staying probably what we would consider well after his resume would state he's going to get a head coaching shot. So, yeah, you're right. It's coming for him. But he looked at Jacksonville and said, hey, if Trent Balky's there, I don't really want to be there. I would rather go back and basically stay with my guys, right? Yes, there's a change at the top with Todd Bowles coming in and Bruce Arians going out, but he was pretty much handpicked and groomed for that spot. That's why he didn't get another shot was, hey, if you stay around, if Bruce retires, we'll give you the reins. Byron said, I would rather go back and be with my guys who I've known in those capacities for four years. I'm very comfortable there. Tom Brady's coming back. Makes kind of easy. Um you know, we've got another good shot to be on top of our conference and look to go to another Super Bowl. So that's always attractive, and it makes it so he can be choosy. So good for him. Now, the story that I found fascinating um, in terms of, like, you know, Arians passed down the reins to Todd after Tom was coming back because he said, the organization's mm. going to be more stable with Tom coming back. I'd rather give Todd a chance with a winning team. And I I don't know what to believe here because there was all these reports about friction with Bruce and Tom, and now Bruce is helping out the front office. And there was like that very abrupt step down. I I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what's true and what's not true. It's weird. It's beyond weird. <laughs> But if we're just going to avoid speculation and just talk about what the reality is right now, you have Todd Bowles, who is worthy of getting another shot at head coach. You have the greatest quarterback of all time. You have a seasoned, experienced staff that's been together for a while behind Todd Bowles. Regardless of the circumstances of how that stepping aside replacement, however you want to word it, regardless of however that came together, it came together. And I think it at least ended up in the right spot. Yeah, and it's not unlike the Saints, who we talked about yesterday, in terms of there is an ascension from within the ranks, but that guy's been there. Um, it's also a D.C., right? Dennis Allen was the D.C., and Bowles was the D.C., and the head guy left that's, that had been there a while, and they are replaced, you know, again, with somebody that is familiar, with that is familiar to the rest of the staff, that knows the system. So while it's a change at the top, that's always going to, that's always going to be a little bit of a ripple, but it's about as small a ripple as it can be because, uh, you know, Todd Bowles didn't have to move his office very far to go from defensive coordinator to head coach. Also, it helps when your assistants under the coordinators have a truly ridiculous amount of coaching experience. Like, it's got to be, what, 200 combined <laughs> years, something like that? 
Yeah, if Tampa's going to compete for the Graybeard Coaching Award, I think they win it probably going away, and they could smoke most teams with just Tom Moore and Clyde Christensen. Between the two of them, it's 62 years worth of NFL experience. Two coaches, 62 years. Tom Moore, 42 by himself. Clyde, more than 20, but 20 seasons in New England alone. So I think he's actually up to like 22 NFL seasons. It's a ridiculously big staff they have uh 23 coaches besides the six we've already named in the top power structure so there's like 29 coaches on the books and that's that does include strength and conditioning and whatever else but that is the biggest number we've come across so far um also experienced up down and sideways from coaching ranks from former players like if there's experience in any fashion you can find it on the buck staff so we'll start with tom moore he is assistant coach that is his full title 42 <laughs> nfl seasons as we said spent 13 seasons coaching peyton manning um you wanted me to tell the tom moore peyton manning story which was when he was with the colts uh reporter said i i see you don't run a lot of plays without 18 back there 18 famously peyton manning's number tom moore looked him square in the eye and he said because if 18 goes down we're fucked and we don't practice fucked and I have a feeling it's the oh, it same with every time. I know. And I have a feeling it's the same with 12 in Tampa, right? Yeah. That there's probably not a lot of reps going to Byron Leftwich or Kyle Trask or anybody else for that matter. And if somebody says the same thing to Tom Moore, he's probably going to say the same thing right back. And Clyde, well, they better not too. be giving reps to Byron Leftwich because then something really went wrong. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, Kyle Trask, Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> Blaine Gabbert. And I said Byron Leftwich. Boy, and I'm not even drinking like. This is just seltzer. Uh, this is what happens when you stack episodes. But Clyde Christensen, speaking of, would say the same thing about Tom Brady because he did spend 20 years in New England with Brady. And sure enough, Brady comes along, and strangely enough, Christensen follows him to his next destination. So Tom likes him. Uh, if Tom didn't like him, he wouldn't have lasted that long in New England, and he certainly wouldn't come to Tampa Bay. So Todd McNair is the running back coach. He played eight years in the NFL with the Chiefs and the Oilers been a coach for a long time as well chris boniol is the specialist coach yes you might remember that name from being the cowboys kicker uh several eons ago um and then thaddeus lewis here's one that i thought was fascinating because his journey around the nfl was really interesting spent parts of eight season in the, in the nfl with eight different teams mm -hmm. so his overall career stats are sort of underwhelming but think about how much he picked up going to eight different stops imagine if you went to like eight different grade schools or middle schools right by the time you got to eighth grade you'd been to eight different schools you would have learned a lot about schools in general and teachers and thaddeus lewis probably picked up something at every stop he's coaching wide receivers for them uh even though he's a former quarterback and i always love that combination because you see it from a different perspective and can bring that to your receivers so really experienced and diverse and varied staff in terms of experience age players coaches on the offensive side on the defensive side i uh, wanted to bring up Lori low locust known as coach low uh to the tampa bay faithful assistant defensive line coach but does most of the sort of day-to-day -day stuff because again the head defensive line coach is the co-defensive coordinator so it has other responsibilities the defensive line unit in tampa is notable so led the nfl against the run for the second consecutive season limiting opponents to 80.6 rushing yards per game and 3.6 yards per carry in the regular season. Coach Lowe 
can coach. Mm-hmm. She is an exceptionally good coach. Bruce Arians picked her from a different league, brought her notably to be one of the most high powerful, uh, high powered mm, female coaches in the NFL. And she coaches. Yes, she has had a lot of talent to work with. Again, Jason Light's done a very good job of bringing those players to Tampa Bay. Um, coach Lowe's honed them into a unit that leads the NFL. Very, very solid coach. Kevin Ross is the cornerbacks coach. Yes, that Kevin Ross, 14-year NFL playing career, two-time Pro Bowler, uh, played in Kansas City, Atlanta, and San Diego. I can say San Diego because that's actually <laughs> where he played, and I'm not wrong. It's going to fuck uh, you up for the next three months, too. <laughs> it, it'll fuck me up forever. I will never not do that wrong. I, I will always do that wrong. Uh, and Keith Tandy, uh, def- his title, defensive slash special teams assistant. Seven-year NFL career as a safety with Tampa Bay and Atlanta. So, again, coming home to coach, forged relationships while he was there, um, got an opportunity to come back and coach. So just the full gamut of some of the most experienced coaches overall in the NFL, players from all different sides of the ball, all different positions, coming together with some, I I will say, unique titles. Tampa has some titles I haven't seen uh, elsewhere in other NFL coaching power structures. But a huge staff, one of the most experienced and certainly one of the most tenured throughout the league. And you see that play out on the field. This is a very prepared team. Do you know where they picked, kind of random note, you know where they picked Thad Lewis up from as a coach? Like where he was before Tampa? I don't remember. He was at UCLA under Chip Kelly as Mm an offensive analyst because his last couple of years in the league, he played for Chip in Philly, and then the following year in San Francisco, Chip really liked him. You know, obviously Thad was never going to be like a, a starter in the league, but sure. you know, Chip really, really liked him. And so when then Chip got the UCLA job, Thad was out of the league. Thad ended up being just an, an analyst for them. Just, you know, analyst typically come. just equates to problem solver. Yeah, come learn. You know, did well for them. You know, I, I don't know if Chip had any sort of relationship with Bruce Arians or if Bruce Arians just was like, hey, he's working out well. Let's just go get him. But yeah. ended up getting a, a, his his first shot at coaching in the NFL. Stuck around since then. Love to see it. Love to see a, a, a journeyman player kind of get his second shot in the league by, by being a coach now. So uh, we love to see stories like that. That's kind of the reason why we dive into those notable coaches every single day is, is we like to kind of highlight – names that you definitely know of but don't track you know the larry foots and the thad lewis's of the world we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, Getting into free agency losses we're going to structure this one a little bit differently than we do for most teams because i want to i want to talk about 
the guys they lost and the guys they re-signed at the same time. Because the guys they lost, for the most part, older veterans, I mean, most of them aren't even on teams right now. Either they're retired, in the case of Gronk, we're recording this literally on the day Gronk retired, so he's out. Um, you know, Richard Sherman's in media now, and Adama Kingsu is like floating that he's going to be a Raider. Maybe he will be by the time this comes out, but <laughs> as of right now, he's a free agent. JPP is a free agent. Um, you know, OJ Howard signed for like three and a half million in Buffalo. Uh, Jordan Whitehead was a hitter and a presence and locker room guy. I'm not going to say he was a minor loss. He was a loss, but he wasn't like a major loss. The only like real big kind of like, ah, man, that one kind of hurts is Alex Kappa. But when you look at the group that they retained because they had to make some hard decisions, they retained Carlton Davis. They retained Leonard Fournette. They retained Golston. They retained Brait, knowing probably that Gronk was gone and their other viable starting tight end is a rookie. So, yeah, you need a veteran. They retained Ryan Jensen. That's the biggie. If you have to choose between Kappa and Jensen, you're going Jensen. And they retained Chris Godwin in a receiver market that has since exploded. On the whole, the retentions to me with limited money outweigh the admittedly great talent that is no longer in the building. I don't disagree. The only point I would quibble on is Jordan Whitehead. I think Jordan Whitehead for folks that follow Tampa Bay, is going to be the one that stings. He was low-key, very good, very impactful player for them. Made one of those guys that makes plays every game but just never seems to get the same shine as some of his secondary mates. Um, Certainly the third or fourth most famous Buck secondary player um, pretty easily. But if you ask the Tampa Bay faithful, like, who made you know the most plays he's not going to be fourth or fifth on that list he's going to be second or third on that list and him going to the jets uh i thought that was a great get by the jets uh i think semi low key maybe medium key the bucks will miss him a little bit but in terms of the retentions yeah we've talked about this before if you're going to choose between a center and a guard and they're keep the center equal, <laughs> you keep the center and especially if that center is ryan jensen so our buddy Brandon Thorne, who does very deep and extensive offensive line study, loves Jensen to the point where I think he's watched every Jensen snap for the last five years, like every single <laughs> Jensen snap for the last five years, because he started off doing some and then he did more. And then he was like, no, I'm going full boat. I'm going to watch every snap that he's played. He's a huge Ryan Jensen fan um, with good reason. Ryan Jensen uh, is a tone setter. That's why Tom Brady likes him. Um, that's why opponents hate him. <laughs> Ryan Jensen, one of the most hated offensive linemen in the league because he's never going to give you an easy day and he's never going to give you a playoff. Like, he's going to come after you every time. So it's interesting that they, you know, they kept Brait, they let Howard go. There were probably thoughts about Gronk, but this is has been one of the two deepest tight end rooms in the league along with Cleveland. And now Howard leaves in free agency, never really took off in Tampa Bay. You kept Brait, but you lose Gronk, and now it's, Great, and one of the rookies will talk about Kate Otten from Washington. But overall, you're sort of reading all those names off. You get to the bottom, and you're like, "Wow, man, they just they lost everybody." And then you get Carlton Davis, Leonard Fournette, Golston, Brait, Jensen, and Godwin. And you're like, "Oh, those are the guys they wanted." <laughs> That's where all the money went. And Perriman, and you know, well, I guess we can. 
There's one more. We, we can preface this one. Uh, the next name, I should say, Blaine Gabbert. Um, yeah. That one's important, but for for totally a different, different kind reason. of reason. <laughs> and the brought... reason is it's important because that that's like, oh shit, we we probably shouldn't have Kyle Trask as our backup quarterback. Like they they retain Blaine Gabbert, knowing that they couldn't not retain Blaine Gabbert. We talked about this before the show, and I said, I'm going to bring up Blaine Gabbert signing, not because it's super impactful financially, it's $2.2 million, but it's a signal, right? It's a flag. It's Tampa Bay holding up the flag on Kyle Trask because there's no way you pay Blaine Gabbert any money if you think Kyle Trask can you know, pull the sled. And they were like, hey, uh, Blaine. 2.2, come back, back up Tom again. You're probably not going to have to play, but we, we really low-key need you. We don't want you going anywhere because that guy we picked up, we're not so sure that he can pull the sled if he needs to. That is what that signals, even though it is a low money and you know, people will sort of just skip over that in the transactions page and be like, that's not a big deal. It's, it's a big deal because of their pick of Kyle Trask. And they signed him back in April by the way this was not no. this was not like a you know oh they they did the deal at the end of the season to tack on one more year like they basically got to when their draft prep was done and they saw you know that a the the quarterback class was not very great so they weren't going to be able to kind of re-roll the dice on a day two quarterback and you know introduce competition to trash that way like they're their only option was bringing back Gabbert and they decided like, yeah, we need to bring back Gabbert. So we're going to do it. Um, yep. It's not, it's not a death nail for Trask, but it is a signal in my it's opinion uh, of how the organization feels about him. Yeah. It's not, especially great. since they also came out and said that Trask or that, uh, that Black, that Gabbert's the backup and not yep, Trask. already yeah. already. Yeah. And probably number three is Byron Leftwich. And yes, I use that <laughs> name correctly. Um, uh, we'll talk about a possibility for number three that I that I think has a chance, but yeah, it is not a good sign. Like if they were, if Kyle Trask was developing and moving along, there is no way they bring bring back Blaine Gabbert. Now, in terms of uh, additions from third party teams, uh, I did mention that Sue is no longer there, and it, it at least as of today sounds like there's no chance of him coming back. They did replace him with possibly the best possible guy to replace Ndamukong Su, and I would even argue that this this might even be an upgrade at this point in their careers, and that's Akeem Hicks. Got him for $8 million from Chicago. Bears extraordinaire. You know, Talk about former players. They're going to end up as coaches. I almost guarantee you Akeem Hicks is going to end up as a coach. Mm-hmm. He's a coach on the field. I think sure. he'd be a phenomenal defensive line coach. He's a great technician, great locker room leader, tons of power, positional flexibility, play him all over the line. Um, he's going to be a phenomenal get for them and probably play a significant number of snaps. Uh, Keanu Neal, who flirted a little bit with linebacker, sounds like he's going back to safety, mm-hmm. probably to fill the Jordan Whitehead uh, smack the shit out of people role because uh, that's what Keanu Neal did when he was at safety was smack the shit out of people. So I imagine that's what he's going to be doing in Tampa. Russell Gage, they pried him away from Atlanta to uh, presumably be their number three three I, yeah. I would imagine yeah. for 10 million he's yeah. probably number three uh logan ryan uh got him another safety uh from the giants to be their third safety probably uh and then shaq mason they they traded for shaq mason after losing kappa 
for a fifth round pick. Can you imagine? Okay, you're going through the the, the the short panic mode of oh god, we lost Kappa. How do we how do we fill this hole? We only have a limited number of picks. How do we do this? And then you somehow give up a middle day three pick for a top five guard? How does that work? I, I don't know how they got away with it, but they did might be the best trade any team made the entire offseason. Yeah, we need to remind ourselves of this or, or re-aggravate ourselves about this because it's so lopsided. Like, it's so wildly lopsided. Oh, little sighting. <laughs> it's so wildly yeah, lopsided. Nine episodes without the cat coming on camera. <laughs> That's okay. Little needs, a, little needs a little love. It's okay. Oh, God. So, Shaq Mason, the talent disparity for the compensation disparity, like it's even greater than the one I typically bring up, which was the other fifth round pick, which is Amari Cooper, right? You get Amari Cooper for a fifth, like forget Amari Cooper. Shaq Mason is a better player at his position than Amari Cooper is at his. And I don't say that lightly. Like Shaq Mason is a really, really good player and you get him for a fifth, it all it almost brings out the conspiracy theorist in me like Tom was like, okay, Bill, yo me. Give me a guard. <laughs> you don't want to see me get killed. Like give Shaq Mason up for something that Jason will give you. And they're like a fifth and he's like, oh, okay. Like there's just no rationale. I don't think that occurred, but there's just no rational explanation for Shaq Mason for a fifth. Like there's something we don't know there. It just doesn't add up on the outside. It's a gift. That's literally all it is. It's a it's gift. It's got to be. And they'll take it. They'll 100% oh, take it. For sure. And Russell Gage, $10 million, uh, I looked at the depth chart. You know, a lot of people will be singing um, Scotty Miller's praises, and rightfully so. But I, I, I think he's a better fourth, and I don't say that poorly. Like, I think he's a really good fourth to have, but Gage gives you more as a consistent third, plus they paid him $10 million. I was thinking Russell Gage was going to be a good sort of bargain signing in this wide receiver market, and they paid him $10 million kind of early, and I was like, oh, they liked him even more than I did. I don't know that I would have gone that high that early. But, you know, had very good results uh, in Atlanta. And I think Keanu Neal is going to be their sort of – I think he's still going to go back and forth. He's going to play safety, but it, I think more third safety in terms of the role. And I really think Logan Ryan is going to play the, the sort of second safety um, plan back, right, next mm -hmm. to Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, Ryan's going to get a lot of snaps. He got a ton of snaps for the Giants, 85% of their defensive snaps. I, I think he's going to be the guy that's always on the field. Keanu Neal is going to rotate in certain situations where they kind of want to play heavy, but maybe they need a guy with a little bit more range. You know, I have a conspiracy theory that maybe he's going to be dimebacker and Devin White comes off. Ooh. Which sounds crazy, I know, because it's Devin White. And he's such a good blitzer. But Devin White in coverage is a lot different than Devin White rushing the quarterback. His value yeah. on third downs is rushing the quarterback. He's yeah. gotten better as his career has gone on, but he's never been great in coverage, which is weird considering his athleticism. But it's just always been kind of a blind spot. Like, great against the run, phenomenal against the run outside the tackles. Like, he's he's chased stuff down like crazy out in the edges. Coverage has always been very hit or miss, but Keanu Neal as a dimebacker 
it wouldn't be often. It might be kind of game plan specific, but I, you know, third safety slash dimebacker, I could see that happen, and I, I really could. Yeah, you got to the dimebacker part, and I was like, why is this a conspiracy theory? And that's like, because blank will come off. And I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, Bucks no. fans are going to be like, oh, no, Devin White's never coming off the field. I just just wait for it. If, I think, it, I think if, it's going to happen. If you look at his advanced statistics, I'd take that bet. Um, I did a pretty good workup on the top, I think it was eight inside linebackers a couple of years ago, trying to figure out like who the actual Pro Bowl snubs really were because fans really get behind inside linebackers of their team. And and if you're ever going to say somebody who's a snub or underrated, they tend to hook on inside linebacker more than some other positions. And I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a fairly deep dive. And I took three, four days, pulled up all the stats I could, uh, both run stop, passing, uh, efficiency metrics and everything else. And um, yeah, Devin was a, he's a tale of two cities. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. His, his run metrics are stunning. Like he's, he's top four or five and Mm -hmm. we're talking about the top six in the league and you know there's pretty much two per team so you're talking about out of 60 guys he's top six that's not faint praise that's he's really really good and you know you're talking about guys like fred warner as better than him like yeah okay um but you get to the past statistics and out of i only went like eight deep because again i was really looking at kind of like all pro nods which is you know they only give two so I really just wanted to kind of include everybody that might have a shot at that. And when it got to the past statistics side of the table, he was consistently second to last or dead last by a bunch. Like there was a gap. And so, so good against the run, not, not great against the pass and had given up, you know, many yards, high completion percentage, bunch of touchdowns. Like it was, the statistics were not pretty against the pass. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. turn into the draft now uh they did acquit themselves pretty well in terms of you know of the of the key players they lost whether it's due to retirement or cutting or trading anything like that of of all the guys they lost they did a pretty good job of kind of filling in, in the gaps in the draft uh i'll go through it one by one here they did not have a first round pick um but they did at pick 33 have logan hall from houston obscene power um, but he really, he, I'm going to be diplomatic, very high ceiling. He really only does one thing right now, and that's power. If he's just going forward in a straight line, he's awesome. He has to learn to do all the other stuff off of that. He needs to get not just an inside counter, but an outside counter. He needs to, you know, incorporate, uh, you know, counter moves off of that long arm move because people are going to forklift him so he needs to know how to react to that and then be able to kind of refit and re-engage if somebody forks his arm off of a off of a one-arm stab he just kind of like stops so he's got a lot to learn who better to learn from than Akeem Hicks I think that's going to be amazing for his career and his upside is amazing um 
So I think that that was probably appropriate value considering the upside, but he does have a long way to go to realize that upside. Uh, Luke Gadecki from Central Michigan was their other second-round pick at tackle. Uh, getting some tackle depth is probably good for them at this point because their starters, in terms of looking at Donovan Smith and Tristan Wirfs, is about as good as it gets. But if one of them went down, you're staring down the barrel of Josh Wells you know, being a starting <laughs> tackle for you. With For a quarterback that can't move, that's not adequate. You need, you need to be too deep on the offensive line. So uh, they went with a swing tackle in the second round, which is great. Uh, round three, this is really where it got spicy. Rashad White, one of my favorite running backs in this entire class. I think he's going to be an immediate contributor for them, going to catch a lot of passes. Um, he's a great complement to what Leonard Fournette does. Uh, I think in terms of kind of being the slash and bash, Rashad White's the slash and, and Leonard Fournette's the bash. He's going to get a bunch of touches. I really do. I really do think that. And I think he's going to be better than Rojo was for them. Not that Rojo was like terrible towards the end, but Rashad White is an upgrade to me. And this is the next one. Kate Otten. Gronk retired. People are panicking. Oh my God, who's going to be the Y tight end? They were the most efficient running team in the entire league out of 11 personnel because they had Gronk who could block his ass off. He's like a sixth offensive lineman. What are they going to do? They're going to play Kate Otten, who, by the way, is also really big and is your classic Y tight end and is a great blocker and can can run the Gronk route tree of like, hey, I'm bigger than you. I'm going to run a slant and Tom's going to throw it up high. I'm going to box you out. Kate Otten does all that stuff. Like he has a very Gronkian type skill set. He's not Gronk, but in terms of the mold, it's it's not that far off. He really does play that role. So... I'm not worried about it. Uh, and then uh, Jake Camarda, the punter from Georgia, had a lot of fans. This was, I think, the second punter taken, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it was early. Uh, that was the thing that really stood out about that particular pick for me. Is like, whoa, picking a punter in the fourth. fourth. Okay. A punter right. who wasn't Ryan Stonehouse, by the way, which pissed well, me off. Well, <laughs> wasn't Jordan Stout. Wasn't Ryan Stonehouse like there, you know, wasn't punt God. We've, we've talked about punters uh, more than we ever have this particular draft cycle. And to go get, you know, Kamara in uh, middle of middle, late round four is like, huh? Okay. Like you could have waited. There's a lot of other punters, but uh, you know, again, they've got the commitment and they think it's important and they obviously really liked him. That's a much higher pick than yeah. most teams would spend on a specialist. He, he had a lot of fans in punting Twitter. I'll leave it at that. Um, Zion McCollum, the next round, hyper-athletic corner prospect. They they love him big and fast in Tampa. Like, they have a mold, and it's just giant athletes. Um, he fits that profile. Again, not ready to start, but they have a great coaching staff that I think is going to be able to mold him because they've that's what they've done is mold day two and day three corners that are more athlete than corner at the moment, and they, they get him into starting quality. So they're going to do it again with him. Uh, Coquife, I think it's how you pronounce it, right? The yep. tight end from Minnesota. Uh, I did not get to watch him, to be perfectly honest, but I did watch Andre Anthony, the defensive end at LSU. Uh, I had a UDFA grade on him. He ended up going like pick two forty eight. So yeah, whatever. Yeah. Real tomato, close. tomato, same yeah. thing. Real close. Interesting draft class, top to bottom. Uh, Logan Hall was my biggest sigh of relief. I was very glad that the Bucks picked him because there was. <laughs> 
there was some talk that Chicago might, and I really didn't want that because I, I thought they had much bigger needs, quite frankly, not because I was anti-Logan Hall. He also had one of the biggest swings of any player I watched from the first game of the season that Houston played to the last game. The last game against Cincinnati. If you want to get excited, if you're a Tampa Bay Buck fan and you're like, what did we get in Logan Hall? Go watch the champ game against Cincinnati. Right, go go watch that game. That is his preeminent game from last year against a high-quality opponent, and he looks like he's got a lot going on. If you watch the first game of the season that he played, you'll say, what did we do? And again, you want to see that kind of progression out of a player, but I'm with you. He needs to keep going. He doesn't have enough to be consistently successful at the NFL level if he just stopped right here, if he just leveled off and you said that's what you're getting. It wouldn't be a great pick at 33 overall. They looked at that progression throughout the year and said, with our defensive line staff, we believe we can keep that arrow pointing in that direction, keep adding skills to what is a very capable frame. That's what they're betting on with Logan Hall. Go to key was like, uh, you needed a tackle. A lot of tackles already went. Uh, you know, there's some thought that he might be a guard for them. He's definitely a tackle, right? Because of the depth you talked about, right? That's just where he fits in their their system, and they believe he's a tackler. They probably wouldn't have taken him middle second round. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, trust the staff on that one. They have a very experienced offensive line staff. They have a very good offensive line, and they've done great with the rookies they've gotten in. High, low picks doesn't matter. They've developed them, so going to give them a little bit of grace on the go-to-key pick. Rashad White, balance. He is a modern and balanced running back. He is as good catching the ball as he is running the ball, and that's not backhanded praise in either category. He can do both things really well in an, I would say, an equal balance, and that's what you need in the modern NFL. You need a back that can do both. That's why they picked up Rojo. They thought he was going to be able to do some more of that. Um, They've been chasing that. They brought in Gio Bernard to sort of fill up. they got the Vandy running back like just hasn't worked out for him Rashad White should fill that role in the offense of hey you want to throw you know Tom wants to throw a screen pass a he's gonna catch it and b can do something with it consistently very very smooth player pass or run just so smooth tends to be a little bit more upright taller but smooth 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 so great get for them Kate Otten Wildly excited about him uh, was even before the Gronk retirement, but after the Gronk retirement, he's my TE five right at the top of tier two for me. Um, thought he was better than some names that were a little bit bigger or, or more popular. Great blocker. He, if you want to see him blocking, go watch him against Oregon gave on Thibodeau and the like. He had some very good, solid reps against those guys. Very sound as a blocker, but I think, gives a little bit more in the pass game than some of the other players his stats don't show that but if you watch what he does with the reps he got because washington didn't throw to the tight ends a lot i think there's more there i think that's going to be sort of an untapped piece that that comes out in tampa i think he might end up being a guy that tom really likes tom you know pretty good with dealing with athletic tight ends over his career he's got a pretty good history there uh every once in a while though otten would have one of those games where it's like eight catches, 100 yards, two touchdowns. Like, he did take over a couple games. They just didn't throw it to him all the time like that. and those were sprinkled in, and they gave you this sort of, I don't want to say false hope, but it got your hopes up, and you're like, man, he can do that all the time. Why aren't you leveraging that? And it's there. Like, the skill and the results, the production are there, and it's not accidental. It's not like somebody fell down in coverage and he went 60 yards. 
he's a very smooth receiver. Uh, there's a great rep where he catches it out near the boundary. He's behind the line of scrimmage when he catches it, and he's got this great little, you know, one-step sort of half pirouette sidestep move where he catches the ball, basically moves his hip, dodges mm-hmm. the guy, and then makes another move to the outside, which is a re- very thin slice at that point. Ends up picking up like six yards on what should have been a probably two-yard loss based on where and how he caught the ball or where it was located. Just little bits of athleticism sprinkled throughout his tape like that. It's like, man, he could do more than they made him do in the passing game. So I'm really excited about Kate Otten. Zion McCollum, you know, big and fast, but also skilled. Like everybody was, we were all over Tariq Woolen as big and fast, you know, but learning Zion McCollum is almost as big, just about as fast and more skilled farther along in that skill development curve. So goes again to a very good landing spot in Tampa where he can continue to develop. Coquif Loki is going to be like their third or fourth tenant. He's going to make the roster Played for PJ Fleck. <laughs> Looking at their current depth chart, he better. No, he's gonna <laughs> even as you're talking about a six round pick, two eighteen overall. Not a lot of people know Coquif's name. Um, Loki, good player. I I think he makes it there. Uh, and Andre Anthony, I didn't get a chance to watch. You did. You had a UDFA grade on him, but you know, this is what Jason Light does. He he grabs talent that fits and can be developed by the coaches and the system they have within the system they have, and down the road they play a role that you know i could see a role for all of these guys all the way down to the bottom pick you know 248 that's not often like i know the front office can always see those roles or they wouldn't have picked them but i think it's it's clear line with with jason light's picks uh udfa lots to talk about here i know you have your favorites i'm gonna let you leave this one yeah i'm gonna lead off with akil glass because he's a quarterback from alabama a&m uh, HBCU, uh, one of the best quarterbacks from any HBCU school this year, uh, starting a couple of their bowls. If you can find me a futures bet that Akil Glass has a better chance to be on this roster longer than Kyle Trask, I would take it. Whoa. I know. Super Whoa. spicy considering where they picked him. I don't think you'll ever get odds on that, but they no, would be I never long. would. I never would. Which is, hey, I might as well offer it up. I like Akil Glass's skill set. Does he need to continue to develop? Yes. Does he have, I think, a greater skill set out of the box than Kyle Trask? Yeah. He played at a much less high-profile place, Alabama A and M, not Florida by any stretch of the imagination. Does he have more skill just out of the box? I would say he does. Does he have a long way to go, just like Kyle Trask did? He does. But I'm going to take the guy that's got, I think, arguably more skills um, to be my third developmental quarterback. Because, again, Gabbard's the solid number two. They're not messing around with that. Tom Brady's not getting pushed by anybody anytime soon. Um, if i got to stash a guy on the practice squad as my third developmental QB and you say it could be Kyle Trask or Akil Glass, I'm going to roll the dice on Glass. And is it a roll of the dice? It is, but that would be my pick. So uh, another one, Jareth Stearns, tiny little wideout that was hyper productive mm-hmm. uh, at Western Kentucky. Um, one of those guys, we saw him at Shrine, and he just, you go, nah, he's like 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, he's never going to make it. Like, it's just not going to happen. It was a college thing, right? It's, it's a system thing. And then you watch him, and you're like, eh, I bet he makes a roster like it might be a practice squad, but might not be a 53 might not be the active roster. 
he was productive for a reason. It wasn't just his quarterback. It wasn't just the system. He's a good receiver. So, again, do you spend a draft pick on that guy? I don't know that I would have. Do I happily snap him up in UDFA and give him a chance? You bet. Absolutely. That's what it's for. Uh, this one's fun. Uh, so, Olakunle Farakasi. And, yes, he is the little brother of Fola mm-hmm. Farakasi. Linebacker yes. from Rutgers. Not as uh, big. <laughs> not as big. A little bit a little bit faster, I hope. Um, but, again, special teams type that's going to come in, be a backup in a very good linebacking room if he makes the team. Um, good bloodlines. His brother you know, was a Jet, is now a Jaguar. We've already talked about him. Um, so, uh, yeah, just one of those. Keep an eye on it. Like, do I have any high hopes for him? Not necessarily, but, um, you know got a chance to make it for sure and then kyler mcmichael uh they have him listed as a corner from north carolina a lot of people thought he might be safety this is another guy that we got to see up close all week at shrine low-key made a ton of plays not very many people got one over against kyler mcmichael i was sure a hundred percent sure i would have put 50 bucks on the fact he was getting drafted especially after the way he played at shrine his tape was good too from north carolina but didn't end up getting drafted, just falls into the Bucks. It's just, just Bucks, you know, secondary, the rich getting richer. Um, very talented guy, good size, very solid. No idea why he didn't get drafted. Can play corner or safety. Has that positional versatility. Like, great, great get for Jason Light. I think he's going to be a safety because he is, if he's a corner, he is the most square-built corner I've ever seen in my life. Like, he is just a but- sentient square. Think about around. Carlton Davis, right? You look at Carlton Davis, and he looks like a sa- like a big hitting safety. He's a corner for them. Again, you said they like him big, and they like him fast. Like fits to type. They're just drafting it's, guys it's and picking up guys on weight. Type. It's that he's just he's wide. Like, he, like you watch him up close, like he is wide as a corner. Like doesn't sacrifice you know fluidity or anything like mm-hmm. that. It's just it's like God damn, dude, you you hit the weight room every day. <laughs> When you line him up against guys like Tyquan Thornton, who's, need it. <laughs> whose calves look like this, right? And then McMichael's on the other side. Yeah, he looks like he's cut out of a block. Um, I really liked his game. I came. He was one of the guys that I was just like, I came away from that week going, man, he's really good. Nobody's talking about him. He's really good. Like It's not like, oh, he's got an outside chance. Again, I was sure he was going to get drafted. So great pickup by Tampa. Now, team floor, team ceiling, our favorite segment to close this out. This is going to be uh, in terms of win total. What's their ceiling? What's their floor? We each have our own ideas. They're relatively similar here in that we both think that they're going to be right in contention for the first seed, as all Tom Brady teams are. I have maybe the highest win floor that I'm going to end up having uh, throughout this entire series, and that's 10. Because Tom Brady has literally not won less than 10 games. He's not won single-digit games in, I kid you not, two decades. Like, it just doesn't happen. 2002 was the last time he won nine or fewer games. So, 10-win floor until proven otherwise. In terms of win ceiling, uh, you could argue 14. Um, I, just looking at their schedule, they got some really rough games. And the Saints are still in the division, and the Saints, for whatever reason, just absolutely dominate them. So I'm going to go with 13 to be safe. But, yeah, they're making the playoffs. Like, this is – if there was anybody that you had to bet your life on they're going to be playing January football, it's this team. 
don't disagree at all. I'm I'm gonna venture uh, a little higher and a little lower. Uh, Fourteen wins is the ceiling. I think they can do it. Tom is preternaturally competitive. Like if he had a competitive scale, he'd just bust it. Um, he's gonna want to win more. He's gonna want to set him up in better position. Again, he's not gonna give away any games, and the talent that they have retained around him. It's not like they have holes in the offensive line. They are, you know, arguably just as good. They kept Jensen. They got Shaq Mason that, you know, if anything, that's an upgrade. The receiving core is hall of fame worthy. Like, and that's not a stretch. Like Mike Evans mm-hmm. is Mike Evans is a hall of famer. If you don't believe Mike Evans is a hall of famer, you need to need to recalibrate the way you look at hall of fame wide receivers because his resume screams hall of fame right now. If he retired, um, Godwin, not yet, but, uh, was when healthy, the straw that stirred their drink. He was the guy, even with Mike Evans in that lineup that they went to first, he was their alpha. Um, he's back Russell Gage. We've already said we like, they bring back Fournette who Tom's obviously very comfortable with and caught more balls than we all thought was physically possible. And you had a guy like Rashad white to add some more flair and flavor to that position tight end you don't have Gronk and yes that is a safety blanket gone I'm gonna say don't have Gronk right now (laughs) because it seems (laughs) like Tom Brady just blows the horn and Gronk comes back even if it's for the late run and looks like he never left and would I be surprised if he did it again I wouldn't be at all surprised do I think call him up in December say hey bud you got five games in you let's go (laughs) let's go you want another ring um so it is a thing but Cameron Brayton was you know good tight end before Gronk got there is he great no and like I said I kind of low-key like Kate Otten as a rookie um big contributor no but you got so many miles to feed on that offense that he doesn't have to be a big contributor he can go out and get you know 20 catches on the year and it would be a great rookie debut so just feels like there's they're gonna just keep their foot down they won 13 last year Tom's gonna want to win 14 or 15 or 17 this year that's just the way he is um, I'm going to say if everything goes their way, 14 is the ceiling and my floor is nine. And that is if everything goes the other way. And that's Tom hits his thumb on a helmet, misses five games. I think Blaine Gabbert probably comes in and wins two of those just because the team, as we've said, is very deep and very talented. But, you know, Tom would have won four of those five and Blaine wins two. And if that's the case, you know, I nine wins is the the wheels just fell off but other than that way too talented and you know if you're really going to press me i'll say double digits is way more likely just historically but something terrible would have to happen and that's what a floor is i still think it's nine which could still get them into the playoffs not likely but i think it still would i mean the nfc is weaker than the NFC, ever weaker i mean russ is russ is out of the conference i mean who knows what happens with with Trey Lance, Devontae's gone. Yeah, <laughs> Bears but if are I had still to, weak. If I had to throw money at this, I would be throwing a lot more money towards fourteen than I would towards nine. Like, oh yeah, the, the oh, needle yeah. is like way over for double digits making the playoffs, being a first seed. Like, yeah, that's that's where my head's at with the Bucks. Well, that'll wrap it up for the individual team episodes for the NFC South. Remember, tomorrow we have kind of the macro look at the division in terms of picking uh, the award winners for the division, MVP, Offensive, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, all that kind of stuff. We're picking all that for the NFC South tomorrow. And then uh, the following week, I think we're doing AFC East, if I recall correctly. that is correct. 
we are two weeks down almost out of eight consecutive weeks we're a quarter of the way there thank you for sticking with us so far hope you come back tomorrow for the macro look at the division and uh until then later take care